Let's just stay in that place for just a moment. Father, we thank you so much. And Father, again, we, um, we welcome you in this place. Um, Father, not because we need to welcome you. You are always here. You are always present with us. But Father, because our hearts need to be reminded that you are with us. Um, because we, Father, have a tendency to wonder. Tendency to lose focus and to lose sight. And so, Father, we thank you for this time this morning. And Father, we pray your spirit would continue to fill us so that we may fill this world with your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, I just want to say thank you so much for the prayers and the, the messages and the thoughts um, for my dad and um, just continue to pray for him as he um, recovers. He has a little bit of a road ahead of him um, from this, this um, bypass surgery. And so we just say thank you so much for um, your concern and prayers over this past week. This has been a, a really crazy emotional week. Um, I don't know, many of you will remember Brody Nelson, um, our friend, but he passed away basically three years ago um, this last Wednesday, I believe, Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And so um, for me, those, those messages have been popping up and reminders of, of that and then following with my dad. So it's been kind of one of those weeks like, wow, some, some heavy, heavy stuff. Um, also want to remind you real quick, um, we're in the middle of a small group sign up right now. Um, we're starting our third trimester, and so you can scan the QR code on the screen behind me, and um, you can get signed up. We had a lot of people sign up last week. Um, is that open? And so groups are going to begin September 11th, so um, go ahead, get signed up. We would love for everyone to be a part of groups. When I was um, in graduate school, I was taking a course right after we had had our first child, so I guess she's back in the booth this morning. Gracie had just been born, and I was working on a paper. It was the end of the semester and trying to get it finished. I think it was like an 18- to 20-page paper on some Old Testament survey or something like that, and I was just going crazy, typing away, trying to get it done. And so I get my paper done, submit it on time. I'm, I'm kind of a procrastinator with things like that, not because I want to be, just because for some reason I focus so much better when it's the last minute. Like, my mind will just kind of wonder, and I can start a month early, but it's the last day or two where my mind will just lock in and I can kind of knock stuff out. And so I was just kind of racing through getting this paper done. I get it submitted, and I'm thinking, man, I've done great on this paper. I've done great in this class. And the end of the semester comes, and I pulled up my grades online, and I had a 57 in the course. And I said, well, that's not good. And so I emailed my professor. I said, hey, I think you made a mistake when you were grading my final or whatever because I got my paper submitted. Well, he responds back and he says, it was no mistake. I need to see you in my office tomorrow morning. So I'm like, oh, good. I'm, I'm terrified. And so I went and I took my, my daughter who was, I guess at the time, probably like four to six months in our, just for sympathy, And so I set Gracie down in her little car seat carrier right beside his desk and just say, if, if she cries, just, 
don't worry, I'll take care of her, hoping the sympathy points are going to add up. He goes, well, here's the problem. I had to give you a zero on your paper because I found this section that you plagiarized. Because now when you submit things online, it runs them through this database and it pulls up every single possible reference. If, and it will say like, this, this quote was like 30% borrowed from someone else and it will give them the source and cited and everything. I mean, it's so, so extensive now. Like you cannot plagiarize. And I said, well, I, I promise I did not do anything dishonest. I didn't do this on purpose. I promise. He goes, well, where in the world did you get this from? Because he pulled it up and it was from another student's paper. So I, I, thankfully I had my computer and I pulled it up and I had all my research from this paper. And I said, oh, oh, I got it from this book on this page. And crazy thing, he had the book in his office and he opens it up to that page and he finds the quote. So what it had pulled up online was someone else who had plagiarized this book. And I said, I, I promise. And so as Cammie and I talked about it, we, we figured out what happened was I was typing and I was working, and I think Gracie had one of those like blowout diapers. I'm so sorry, Gracie. I, Gracie, can I tell this story? Is that okay? Sorry. <laughs> I'm supposed to ask before I do that. I always tell her. I, I will get you some ice cream or something, I promise. Um, it's been an emotional week. i forgetting. But, but anyway, um, we had had one of those kind of blowout diapers, and I think I was, I was typing away, and Cammie goes, Gary, I need help, I need help. And I was like in the middle of this quote, and I think I ran back to help her and came back, and I just forgot to like make it a block quote and put references around it. I just kept going. So he said, okay, that's fine. I'll give you a 70 on the paper. <sighs> I've never been so happy to have a C on a paper. But it was one of those, it was like, yes, sir, thank you so much. You will never see me again. <laughs> and, and I was so, but, but here's what's crazy about that. It wasn't just the grade that I was worried about. It was having to go back and tell a church that was helping me go through grad school, allowing me time to go through grad school, and all these kids who looked up to me, I failed a course because I cheated on a paper. Like that was the most difficult part. Because within us, there's this like certain sense of pride we have, correct? Like, like there is an embarrassment there. Like we failed morally. Or we made a mistake, and we don't want anyone else to know. But there is this sense of pride that makes it so difficult at times for us to function. That this pride that tends to get into the way. In Proverbs, the Proverbs writer says it like this. He says, pride, pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit just means like an arrogant spirit before the fall. That, that pride is one of those things that will trip us up. It's, it's one of those things that gets in the way. And, and here's the thing that I've found in my life, is no matter how humble I know I am, I mean, I'm the most humble person I know, but, but my guess is you feel that about yourself as well. But we get into those, those moments where we start to think, man, 
pretty good at what I do. I, I can make it on my own. But pride just doesn't creep up into our life. It also invades our faith. And pride is one of those things that makes it really, really difficult as a follower of Jesus. So in this series, we're, we're going through some Old Testament narratives and looking at this pattern that we see time after time in the Old Testament. That they're, these people, individuals, and as a community of people, go through the water into new life. And as I said, this pattern shows itself over and over and over again. The very first week we looked at Moses as he went through the Red Sea. And he led these people through the water into this new world. This world that just moments before the Red Sea didn't exist. Because on one side you have the Egyptian army that's closing in. On the other side, a watery grave. And the people walk through the water into new life, into a new world. And so last week was the story of Joshua as he led the people through the Jordan River and through the water into a new world, to this promised land. But, but the, the big part of the story was what happened just before that. Before the people crossed through the water, you had Moses who died on the other side of the water. After leading the people for 40 years through the wilderness, trying to make it to the promised land. Moses dies without this moment of, this is not fair, why don't I get to make it? I've listened to the way these people have complained and they've whined and they've, they've put all this pressure on. Moses never complains. Moses never begs and pleads with God that God would change his mind. Moses simply dies on the mountain looking across the river at the promised land. And the reason, the reason I believe Moses can die in peace is because Moses has found something greater than the promised land. He's found the presence of God. Something far greater than anything he could ever imagine or experience here on this earth. He found the presence of God. See, and, and, and there's part of me that wonders. The Moses from years and years before who killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand, I don't know if that Moses would have felt that way. I, I think that Moses had a pride problem. And, and it's so easy to point the the finger at Moses. But let's just be honest. All of us at times have a pride problem. All of us at times allow pride to creep into our hearts and for us to begin to think we are more than we actually are. And so this story we're going to look at, this narrative this morning, is from 2 Kings. Okay? 2 Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman was the commander of the army of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The, the Lord 
gave victory. Continuing on. He was a valiant soldier. So, so the, the narrator here is building up. He, he wants you to know who Naaman was. He was a great man. He was a great soldier, a great commander. He was valiant. But, and this is a really big but here. Go on there. There we go. But, he had leprosy. And when it says leprosy, what it's referring to is he had some type of skin disease. He, it, and it's not super clear at this time. I mean, you have to think the, the technology, the science back then wasn't great. But he had a skin disease. He had something that he had contracted, most likely, at some point in his life. And because of that, he was seen as someone who needed to be set apart because you didn't want to catch what he had. And so you had this great man who was a soldier, and he was valiant, and he was the leader of an army, and he was great, but he had leprosy. But he had a problem. See, now, now here's the thing I've found in my life. The more people start to tell you how great you are, the more you start to believe them. And the, the more you start to believe how great you are, the more you start to believe how less great other people are. See, see, pride is one of those things that we never see that kind of creeps up from the inside and starts to work its way out. And it starts to affect not just the way that we see ourselves and not just the way we see our relationship with God, but it also starts to affect our relationship with other people. It starts to, to break down those walls and starts to cause problems. See, see, in this culture, as you go on, if you had leprosy, you were supposed to literally walk around saying unclean. Because you didn't want anyone else to get what you had. No one else wanted to get what you had. So you would walk around literally saying unclean, 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 unclean. Now, today in our world, we would say that's probably not politically correct. We, we wouldn't ask someone to do that. So, so one of the things I get to do with my, my job and with ministry is people do come into our office on occasion asking for help. And um, by the way, we have an amazing man, Martin Tucker, who does a phenomenal, phenomenal job loving people and serving them. But occasionally, um, if Burke is busy and I can't pass him off on Burke, um, I get to talk to them. And so a few, few years back, um, this lady had come into our office. And she walks in, and she shakes my hand. Or I said, hi, I'm Gary. It's nice to meet you. I shake hands with her. She goes, my name's, I don't even remember her name at this point, and I have a terrible rash. And it was just one of those things like, couldn't you have told me that before you shook my hand? And so she, she needed some help with some medication, and that's great. We were able to do that. And, thankful, and this was, I guess, pre-COVID, so there wasn't like hand sanitizer stations every five feet. But it was one of those things, it was like, hi, I'm Gary, and I shake your hand. I have a terrible rash. Like, oh. And so you, you can't. Like, just wi start wiping your hands off, right? You, you can't do that. 
you have to sit there and, and talk. And so we, we talked and we prayed, and it's a funny story. Now, um, she doesn't go to this church, so if you're watching online, I am so, so sorry. I hope the rash is better. Um, but, but Naaman has leprosy, okay? And, and here, here's, I'm going to kind of walk you through this really quickly. Um, Naaman has leprosy, and one of the servant girls in his household goes to his wife and said, hey, there is a prophet in Israel who can cure you, who can heal you. And so Naaman goes to the king, his boss, and he said, hey, there's a prophet in Israel who can heal me. And the king says, well, that's great. I'm going to send you the king of Israel. Why we're going to go to the king and not to the prophet, I don't know. But we're going to go to the king. And so he sends a letter with him to go to the king. Um, and, and the king supposedly, I guess, is going to do what the prophet should. But we're going to pick up verse 5. Okay. By all means, go. The king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. Verse 6. Um, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So like, there, somewhere it's like lost in translation. This is not the king of Israel has the power to heal, heal you. This is there is a prophet in Israel who has the power to heal you. But the king of Aram sends him to the king of Israel. And, and so Naaman thinks, hey, I'm an important man. I'm, I'm going to take with me some money, and I'm going to take with me some clothes so that I can pay for this, that I can make sure that I get what I need. But, but I think Naaman is going to have one of those really, really humbling moments. The humbling moment when you realize that money can't buy you everything you need. The humbling moment when you realize that you don't have the power and strength that you assume you have to be able to take care of the problems that you have. And it's this reminder that there are sometimes, there are things that are outside of your control that you have absolutely no power to affect. No power to fix. And you're simply left at the mercy of someone or something else. I think here it's a reminder, maybe, that the grace the prophet Elijah would have to give, or Elisha would have to give, is not for sale. It's not something that could be bought. And so Naaman goes to the king. And the king goes nuts. He tears off his robes. He says, why did you come to me? Am I God? Can I do this? But he goes to the king. And maybe this is a power thing. Maybe this is, hey, I'm the king. I'm going to send you to the most superior person. I'm not going to send you to an inferior person, to a prophet of Israel. I'm going to send you to the king. Because surely if the prophet could do this, then you 
king could do this. Prophet would be beneath you. I need someone with power. And I think it's so ironic, the story of, of Christ. That, that the one who does have all the power surrenders his power so that he can heal. It's not that he gets more and more and more and more power so that he can heal. It's that he gives up and he surrenders all his power so that he can. So Elisha, Elisha hears about Naaman. And he hears about the, the encounter with the king. In verse 9, So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Verse 11, Now Naaman, but Naaman went away angry. And he said, I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over me in the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Verse 12. Are not... Um, I can't... I'm blanking. Uh, Abana, excuse me, and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. He, he's told, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And his response is he is angry and he says, why did I come here? Our rivers are better there in Damascus. Why would you ever tell me I need to come here? And why would I have to go wash in the Jordan? And why does it matter? We have better rivers. Why? And so the servant hears this. The servants hear this. They said, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait. Hit, hit pause for just a second, Naaman. Okay? Naaman's servants. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored. And he became clean like that of a young boy. There's this pride, I think, for Naaman that stands in the way. O almost like this pride of, do you know who I am? Like, do you, do you understand who I am and how powerful I am? Do you know who I am? I tried that one time when I was in middle school. I was in sixth grade. My, my parents were both teachers in Garland ISD for years and years. They knew everybody. Okay? And I had a, a teacher in sixth grade who was brand new to the school. And, and we had done something in her class, and she kind of got on to us. She called me out into the hallway, and she said, okay, um, this is not going to work. And for some idiotic reason, the best thing I could come up with was, do you know who my dad is? 
Now, I will just tell you, that did not go well. Because she says, no, but I'm going to find out. It, it, it did not go real well. Right? But, but I think Naaman has this sense, and, and maybe even the king of Aram, like, do you know who we are? Do, do you get a sense of who we are and how much we have and how much power? And so the servants come to him and say, wait, 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 wait. If he had asked you to do something great, something crazy, you would have gone and done it. You wouldn't have thought twice. But because he told you to go wash in the river, you're mad and you're not going to do it? What, what if that has the power to heal you? What if that has the power to make you whole? If he had said, run all the way back to Damascus, would you have done it? If he had said, give all the money that you brought, would you have done it? Yes, you would have done all of it. Why then? Would you not do this one simple thing? And so he goes and he washes. And he says, I'm assured of one thing. That there is a God in Israel. Because I have seen his power in the water. Right? The same thing that the people of Israel would say as they crossed the Red Sea onto dry ground. The same people, same thing that the people of Israel would say as they walked through the Jordan River. The same thing that Moses or that Naaman, excuse me, would see. That they saw the presence of God in the water. They saw the presence of God. They saw the power of God in the water. Because in the water there was the power to redeem and the power to heal and the power to cleanse, the power to wash away all that was a part of your life and allow them to begin this new life. A, a, a power to not walk through the world saying, I am unclean because he has been cleansed. Because he has had this most humbling moment. Not where a king had to step in, but where the prophet, the voice of God, the representative of God was able to give saving grace to Naaman. See, it's impossible to fully surrender your life to God when you have a tendency to think you are God. And then here's the thing. I'm pretty sure that there's not a single person in here would say, yeah, I feel like I'm God. But so often, we live our life as if we believe we are. As if we believe we have the power to take care of all of our problems. That is, if we believe that money could make every problem go away. But there are some hurts that are too deep that money cannot touch. There are some physical ailments. There are some things that happen in your life and in your world that your power and your strength cannot handle. I think it's why Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because we have this sense of pride that we're good enough, that we're strong enough, that we could 
handle anything that comes our way. Peter's talking to the people of Israel. And he says, you need to understand something. You are the very reason that God suffered and died. God sent Jesus into this world, and you hung him on a tree. And here's what happens. They, there's this humbling moment for them. It says they were cut to the heart, and they asked Peter, well, okay, what are, what are we supposed to do? If we did this, if we're responsible for killing God, what do we do? If we're responsible, if that guilt falls on us, what do we do? And he says to him, I want you to repent and be baptized. And you're going to wash away your sins, and you're going to be filled with the Spirit. See, and that, that walking through the water of baptism isn't just simply about being emptied of our past. It's also about being filled with the presence of God in our future. It's not just being emptied. It's also being filled. It's we're emptied of what has brought us down our whole life. The pride, the sin, those things that, that entangle us. And we're set free by the Spirit of God to live this empowered life as the people of God. And I think, I think baptism is like the ultimate act of surrender. It is the ultimate act of just saying, okay, I cannot do it on my own. Not even partial. I cannot do it. I don't have the power to save myself. But pride is a problem. And I think we encounter the problem of pride on both sides of the water. Because entering the water for the very first time, there, there's this sense of pride of, I don't really need someone else to save me. And to simply surrender and say, okay, there, you have it all. I, I lay down my life and surrender it to you. And I think there's a, a sense of pride that makes it really difficult for us to walk into the water. But then I think there's a big problem with pride on the other side of the water. This pride that we start to believe that we deserve this. The pride that we've earned it or we've done what we need to do. Or even the pride that we know what's right. We know more than everyone else. And I think that pride that we encounter on the other side of the water is just as dangerous as the pride we encounter before we enter the water. Right? Because I think we have this, this sense, well, that baptism saved us. Listen, listen really closely. Baptism did not save you. Baptism is not your savior. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who became man, and God placed Him in this world into our mess. See, the Gospel is not, hey, walk through that water because that water is your Savior. Let, let me remind you of the message of the Gospel. This is how Isaiah puts it. 
He was despised. And this is this prophecy of the coming Messiah. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held Him in low esteem. Surely He took up our pain and He bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. See, and here's the, the problem with the pride. Is I'll, I'll hear people so often they'll argue about baptism. Right? And the question that comes up, well, is it essential? Can I just tell you, I hate that question. I hate that question. And for several reasons. One, that's so far above my pay grade. I do not get to decide how expansive the grace of God is. I do not get to make that call. But what I do know is that our Savior is Jesus. It is not the water. But it is as we walk through the water that we enter into this new life in Christ. The water is the means by which we encounter Christ. The water is the means by which we find and see the presence and power of God in our life. Because it is in the water that Christ washes our sins away. It is in the water that we are filled with the presence and the Spirit of God. There is power in the water. But the water is never our Savior. It has always been Jesus. But Jesus, just as a story, has been for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, uses the water for the redemption of our life. He uses the water as this point that we look back on and say, that was the moment that I entered into Christ. That is the moment that I encountered the Savior. That is the moment that I come face to face with Messiah. That is the moment that I was saved. That is the moment where my life changed forever. See, Baptism is not your Savior. Jesus Christ is your Savior. He is the one that paid the ultimate price for you. And so it's so funny at times that we take such great pride in that. The water, yes, take, be incredibly grateful that we have that experience and that we have that moment that changed and transformed our life. Yes. But we do not boast in it. We boast in the saving grace and power of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the gospel. That is the good news that God came, became man and came into our world to deal with our stuff. To welcome you. To come to the water 
and walk into new life every single day. To come no matter where you've been, no matter how far away you've wandered, to come to the water and be healed. To come to the water and find new life. And so this morning, that's simply our invitation. If you've never come to the water, you are invited to come. And in the water, find the saving presence of Jesus Christ. And find new life. To be emptied and to be filled. And for those of us who have already passed through the water into this new life, I just want to ask, what is it that you boast in? What is it that you find your strength in? What is it that you feel saves you? Is it your strength and your power? Or is it the death and resurrection of Christ? Is that the rock on which you stand? Is that your hope of salvation? Father, we thank you so much for your gift of life. We thank you so much for Jesus becoming man and taking up our sin and our shame and carrying it to the cross to die the death that we deserved so that we could be set free. We thank you, Father, for that good news. We thank you. And Father, we continue to remind ourselves that today we must surrender to you. That we will not boast in our strength, in our power, in our knowledge, but we will boast in Jesus Christ crucified alone. And Father, we thank you for these waters. We thank you for the waters that remind us of the power of your presence at work in this world. The moment when we are emptied and we are filled. Something that we have to return to every single day of our life. Being emptied and filled. Father, we pray that you would continue to empty us of our pride, of our sin, of our shame. And fill us with your Spirit. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.